So, verse 1 of chapter 20. John, I'm in the Passion Version. If you do not have the Passion Version, you want to go to the Bible app, look up TPT, the Passion Translation. Um, you can do that and follow along. Very early Sunday morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb, and when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could to go tell Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Who do you think is writing this? John, right? And um, do you think that sounds arrogant? Or do you think it sounds confident? Huh? Confident. Confident, okay. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke. They wrote their accounts of the gospel, right? They wrote their accounts of Jesus' story. And John didn't write his at first. And so history tells us that Lots of people got together and was like, John, you really need to write this stuff down. And so it's tradition says that John goes off alone. And he finally says, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write this stuff down. And John begins the book of John just the same way the Bible begins in Genesis in the beginning, Right? So it's a beautiful story that John is portraying, but John here is so intimate with the Father, he is confident in the love that Jesus has for him. It is not that John is placing his confidence in himself. He is placing his confidence in Jesus. You see that? The one that Jesus loved. The beloved disciple, right? He is the only one that writes that about himself. <laughs> Nobody else says, you know, John was the beloved disciple, right? It is John who's realizing this is all about his love for me. That's what it's all about, okay? And so she told them they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb and we don't know where he is. Then Peter and the other disciple jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together. Now watch this little jab. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Who's that again? John. Notice the playfulness, right? John's trying to get you in a story that this is real life stuff, right? And then he's also getting at Peter. And you know, Peter was the one known for uh, rough housing. Peter could fight, right? When they had just a couple days before this tried to take Jesus, who fights? Peter. Who knocks the ear off a soldier? Peter. Right? Peter's known to be a tussler, right? If you haven't watched the Chosen series, um, a series of uh, the season one, you'll kind of see some of that. Um, season two, by the way, starts tonight. The very first episode comes out tonight at seven. Just a little ad there for them. But it gives you a display of what that looks like. And so Peter reached the, I mean, so he outruns Peter. This is John. And John reached the tomb first. Verse five. He didn't enter the tomb, but did what? He peeked in and saw only the linen cloths lying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen cloths lying there. Now before I go on to the rest of the cloth that is lying there, where have you remember linen cloth before? Say it again loud. The manger. <laughs> the manger, right? When Jesus was born, right? And so it says, he was born in a manger, and Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths and linen, right? 
and laid him in a manger. Who was the very first person to touch Jesus? The pure virgin Mary. Right? The entering in of the Son of Man onto this earth, the very first person to touch him. Right? This is, John is not just writing a bunch of words down. He is specifically trying to get you to arouse your thinking and notice what is happening. That this is the real deal, right? And trying to jog their memory of how all these things connect together. Then he goes on to say, but the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separate from the other cloths. Jewish tradition, when you ate a meal, and whenever you were there and you didn't really like that meal, and you wasn't going to come back for seconds, the tablecloth was folded and put to the side away from everything else. Jesus tasted death, hell, and the grave. But he also said, I ain't coming back to it. This is a once and for all sacrifice. Right? So John is awakening you to all this stuff that they would have known as they are reading these things in their minds, just probably just going in all these directions as they're reading this. For us, we don't grow up as little Jewish boys and girls, and so we have to remind ourselves of all the stuff that is happening inside this story. And then Peter, I mean, then it says, he, um, then the other disciple, which is John, who had reached the tomb first, another jab, by the way, went in, and after one look, he believed. He believed, for until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Even though, by the way, how many times has he told them? Guys, this is about to happen. Guys, this is about to happen. Guys, this is about to happen. And they say, I didn't really get it. Right? But then John all of a sudden makes the connection and understands. Puzzled Peter. <laughs> puzzled. Peter and the other disciple then left and went back to their homes. And Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. Now this is not... The mother Mary, right? This is Mary Magdalene. Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Again, a good Jewish boy and girl, their minds are exploding at this point. For us, we're just like, dang, there were some angels in there. What is this representing? Go all the way back to the Old Testament. Remember, everything in the Old Testament, and if, about a month ago we kind of went through some of that temple stuff when the temple was built, what it looked like, why it was structured. Remember, everything in the temple was a vision of heavenly things, right? And so at the cherubim, right? Remember the cherubim, the two angels, whenever they built the Ark of the Covenant, where, what, what hosted the Ark? That's where God's presence resided, right? And over the Ark, at each end was what? Cherubim. Angels that surrounded the presence of God facing one another and the presence of God in the middle. What is it? And that's the Ark of the Covenant, right? The mercy seat. What was poured over the Ark was the blood of the Lamb, right? Remember when we talked a couple months ago about David's tabernacle? It was a once and for all, right? David tapping into the new covenant in the old covenant, right? And so, um, so here's the picture. It's the mercy seat. Jesus, 
That's where his body lay. One at the foot, one at the head. Angels. What is the representation? His blood was covering the mercy seat. So their minds are exploding here, seeing all this come to fruition and thinking, oh my, right? The once and for all sacrifice is done, signified by these two angels here at the Ark of the Covenant, looking over at the tomb, right? And so she saw the two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one the head, one the feet, and Verse 13, dear woman, this is what the angel said, why are you crying, they asked. And Mary asked, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize that it was him. He said to her, dear woman, why are you crying, and who are you looking for? You can say that to us this morning. Who are we looking for? We're always searching but sometimes we're not searching in the right place. Sometimes he's right there and we don't notice. Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you have taken his body somewhere else, tell me and I will go. Now, before we go further than that, get the picture in your mind. Here's Mary at the tomb. What's by the tomb? Garden. Okay, there's a beautiful garden. Hence is why she only thought he was just the, what? Gardener. Who was the first gardener on earth? Adam, right? All this started in Eden. All this started with the garden when he placed himself with the presence of God with Adam in the garden of Eden. Started with the son of man, Adam, right? All the way down from generation to generation and here, Mother Mary, give me a shot. I need one right here. Can I get one? You got one? Nope, you got to get one. Thank you. I'm vaccinated. I'm ready to roll. I got both shots at one time. You ain't got to wait three weeks in between. And so, you have to get that picture in your mind that there's this freshness is on the scene, so to speak, right? Because here is the, here's Mary, which is the one who got seven spirits cast out of her, right? This is not Mother Mary, the virgin, who had Jesus, right? So Jesus enters into the world with the mother, Mary, and then here's Jesus coming on the scene, the resurrected king, right? Coming up out of the grave, the first fruit among many, Paul says. And as he's coming up, first encounter is with Mary, signifying this kingdom is a different kingdom than what you thought. Your perception of always thinking, you've got to have it all right before you can have a relationship with me. And he's telling them, you can't do that, right? You have me one more? He's saying, you've got to have a new perception. You've got to have new eyes. You've got to realize that I am coming, right? Jesus, this whole time, is the upside-down kingdom, right? The whole time, what did he do? You can't get next to the leper. Scream out, I'm a leper. Can't come near me. What does Jesus do? He goes to the leper. He touches the leper, right? It is not, you're unclean, get out of the city. No, he goes to the leper. And so he's signifying with Mary here, saying, this is a new, 
new place, right? In the garden, this new gardener is coming on the scene, the first fruit among many. He is the prototype. We've talked about this before. In John 3.16, the only begotten son, the word begotten there is a word that is meaning a new prototype. He is a new person, right? He is not just, is not just made good or the best version of us. He is a new prototype. And from that new prototype, all men will come from that new prototype, not from the prototype of Adam anymore. Right? And that's why Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that you must be born again. You must be the Greek word geneho, regened into this new man. And so that's what he's introducing to Mary. Right? And she doesn't recognize him until he interrupts her with one word. And the one word is this. Mary. You got to think back. How many of you watched the Chosen series that I mentioned earlier? Okay. Think back to the scene. Remember? You remember the scene whenever he cast, like it shows the priest coming in there with their little smoke and stuff and they're trying to cast the spirits out of, out of her and they can't get it, right? And they're just like, we couldn't do it. But remember when Jesus encounters Mary, all he says is one word. is Mary. And all the other is gone. When he simply called her by who she really was. Remember last week where we said we got to come out of hiding, right? All those things that covered her and he gets to the root. Mary, right? And all of a sudden, don't you know that her mind is going right back to that moment when she hears this word here? Mary. And all of a sudden she realized it's Jesus, right? So turning to face him, she said, my teacher. And Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to God my Father, and He's not only my Father and God, but now He's your Father and God. Jesus interrupts her because she, she's like ecstatic, right? She'd just sit there and witness Jesus being crucified brutally, right? The beatings, the whippings, all those things. We, we rewatched uh, The Passion of Christ last night just to get that vision in your head, but just knowing what she had just witnessed, right? Then the heartache and the pain where she's thinking he's dead. And now all of a sudden, there he is. So what is she wanting to do? He calls her by name and she's like, my master, my teacher, this is awesome, right? Wanting to hold on to him. And he says, hold up. And what is the word he says? Don't do what? Don't cling to me because I haven't what? Ascended. Now get this beautiful picture. This is early Sunday morning. Remember at the beginning of this chapter it says it wasn't even daylight yet. Mary's going to the tomb before the sun even comes up. And it's almost as if... Remember Mary's devotion whenever she bathed his feet? That single eye of devotion to him, she gets to interrupt Jesus on his way to the Father. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Do you see that? This is why I say that. Don't cling to me, Mary. If you fast forward over to a couple more paragraphs, don't touch me, can't cling to me, I haven't yet ascended to my Father. Somewhere between that time and then it says seven to eight hours later, they're all gathered together because they're still scared to death. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared. 
and he lets Thomas touch his side, touch his hands, and all those things, and let them hug him. So somewhere in between this encounter with Mary, he ascends to the Father, makes all things right, and then appears to them. So in her devotion, she interrupts that place gets to be at the feet of Jesus, gets to be in the presence, right? And so here, it keeps on saying, check this out. He's not only, because she said, Mary, don't claim for I haven't yet ascended to God my Father. He's not only my Father. He's not only just my Papa. He's not only just my God. But now he's your Father and your God. Now get this significance right here. Now go to my brothers and tell them what I told you. What did he tell her? He didn't just give her a long sermon. He didn't give her a list of rules of do's and don'ts. This is how you need to go to church. Make sure y'all establish this because y'all about to go start the church. So make sure they know all this stuff before. He didn't say that. He didn't say you got to go to church and get all this theology in your head and all this kind of stuff. One simple thing I need you to go tell them. Papa, how I've been telling y'all me and him's one this whole time. We're one together. He's my papa. I'm his son. He loves me so passionately. We're one together. Now, I want you to go tell them. Now, y'all are one with him. Y'all that y'all can say papa now. Y'all can have that intimacy with him now. That's the only word he told her to go give. You must go tell them. Because everything starts in that place, guys. We can get all the right theology. We can say we're right, right? For the sake of being right, because of argument's sake, right? We can go tell everybody else that they're wrong. We can go find all the sinners in this world, the ones that we think are really bad, whatever we have that in our mindset, and go tell them, you bunch of weirdos, y'all need to get saved before you burn forever. Is that the message he told her to go give? No, let them know right now, this is what's true. You are children of the Father, and you can be intimate with Him. Right now, go tell them. Hurry, go tell them this, right? What I told you, that I am ascending my Father, your Father, to my God is your God. Then Mary Madeline left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. Notice she always has encounters with Jesus. Intimacy. Because of that single eye. I've seen the Lord, she told them. She gave them the message that he told her to give. And that evening, the disciples gathered together because they were afraid of all... Remember what they had just seen. They had just seen all the mob, all the rioting, all the beating, and everything. They're still scared. Right? It's only three days later. They're still scared. That what if they're gonna come after us now? Like what if they're gonna do that to us? Right? So they're up in the building, doors locked, and suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. <laughs> Get that in your mind. They're up there scared to death, the doors are locked, and they're probably huddled up, like, what are we gonna do? They're still worried, right? In a room, packed in like we are packed in, and they're like, What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? There's no knock on the door. The door don't even open. They got that thing locked tight, right? Because they are scared to death. And all of a sudden, there he is. Peace. Mm. Now what you gonna do? 
about to jump out the window. <laughs> right? Because how many times have they ever seen anything like that before where somebody just appears? Boom! <laughs> right? And the first thing out of his mouth is peace to you. He showed him the wounds of his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. And Jesus repeated saying what? Peace to you. What does that mean? They didn't get it the first time. <laughs> right? They still scared. They still real scared. So he has to say it again. Remember whenever Noah um, and the ark was starting to come back down and he sends out the dove. Right? He releases the dove to go around to see if it can land anywhere. And when it can't land anywhere, it comes where? Back to him. Right? Until he sends it out and it finds somewhere to rest. And then that's when Noah knows it's time to settle here. Right? What did Jesus teach his disciples when he sent them out? Sent them out without anything. Don't take your knapsack. Don't take anything with you. Right? And then he says, whenever you get to a town, he says, you release peace. You release your peace. And he says, when you release your peace and it settles on someone, you stay there and do ministry. He says, but if it comes back to you, keep on going. Right? Jesus released peace. They're still too afraid. So he shows them. He reveals things to them. He opens their eyes to truth. And whenever he reveals who he really is, then he says it again. Peace. This time it settles in and then he does too. Right? He's giving us all this, guys. Then he showed them the wounds. Oh, wait. Jesus repeated, Peace to you. And he told them, Just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Did Jesus do anything that he didn't see the Father do? He says, I can't do anything unless I see the Father do it. I can't say anything unless I see, hear the Father saying it. Right? That's why I go back to last week. Whenever people say, oh, God turned his back on Jesus at the cross. How can he? Jesus can't do anything that the Father hadn't already been doing in the Spirit. The Father was at the cross first. Jesus was just following him, Right? So, don't buy into that. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whenever in Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? Baptizing Holy Spirit and fire in Acts chapter 2, that was for power to go out and do what they, what they were charged to do, right? This right here was the Holy Spirit breathed on them. They received this new life just as Adam received the breath of life in the garden, right? So he's signifying, I am the first fruit among many. I'm breathing on you life. You are reaching to new life right now. Old things are passed away. All things new. He breathes on them. Receive the Spirit of God. Just the same way you picture Adam in the garden. He breathes into his nostrils and life happens. Right? And that's what he's doing to them. Regene, reborn, right? Into his likeness, right? Then he says, now wait in Acts chapter 2 is whenever the baptism of fire and Holy Ghost happens when the power comes on them to do the marvelous things he's asking them to do. I send you to preach forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, 
they will remain guilty. Now think about that. Is Jesus giving you authority to forgive? Giving you authority to forgive people? I mean, in a way, because you are to forgive even whenever you've been wronged, right? So in that way, yes. But who's the only one who has power to forgive? God, Jesus, because of this weekend, we ought to remember, it's the cross, right? So it's the power, right? It's through Him. So what is He actually saying? Because we don't, we didn't die for nobody, right? It's not our blood that covers sins. It is specifically His blood that covers sins. So what is He saying? Listen to it again. I send you to preach forgiveness. I send you, in other words, the word preach there, proclaim, announce, right? Announce that my kingdom is already here. And what is my kingdom that is already here? You are forgiven, right? One of the phrases that we've uh, adopted around here that we love so much lately is this. It is not, it is not so much that you have received Jesus into your life. It's that Jesus has already received you into His. That's the beauty of this. So what is He saying? You go proclaim this message. You are already forgiven. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to say you're accepted. I've already done all the work. I've already accomplished it all. You go tell them it is finished. Right? Remember that verse last week from Psalm 22? The last part of it says that our generation will be the generation to go out and tell what? It is finished. Right? So we have been given this message to preach, to proclaim, you are already forgiven. You are already accepted. You are already drawn in by Him. Right? Remember the verse that we looked at last week? God was in Christ. On the cross, reconciling the cosmos, not just the earth. It says the cosmos. That means everything as far as we can even imagine, right? Galaxies, the cosmos, all of it. Reconciling it all back to God. What does that mean? All of it coming back to Him in intimate relationship. From the very beginning, John, who we're reading, in chapter 1, he's talking about in the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God and the Word was God. We get this word pros in chapter 1 of John. And pros is talking about not that they were just side by side by side, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but that they were face to face to face encounterment, right? That there's no shadow, there's no hiding in them. And the beauty of that is, is that when God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos, He was bringing the whole cosmos back into that circle, that complete, that's why it's called holiness, wholeness, because it is complete and whole with all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as they are face-to-face encounters. And He brought the whole cosmos back into Himself. You have already been received. What you need to be is awakened to the truth of what's already taken place, right? It is that you believe what's already taken place, not that you believe enough to finally work yourself into something or say the right words or say the right formula or say the right prayer and now I'm finally in. 
It is simply believing what he says about himself and what he says about you is already true and believing that word. Remember why we said that? Because you say it, it's so. Remember when David prayed that? Because if you say it, it's so. It's what word are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what he's already said about you? Or are you going to believe what the enemy says about you? And that's what he's getting out here. Go and tell them that they're already forgiven, right? Because he says, but if you don't proclaim this forgiveness, notice that verse. If you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. Because why? They don't know it. They don't know. So therefore, they are already condemned in their own eyes. They remain guilty because of their perception is still turned towards a guilty conscience. And see, God says, I'm trying to get you to a place to where you know you're forgiven until you have no more consciousness of sin. Remember David's tabernacle? For 40 years, they had no consciousness of sin. And Jesus says, I'm coming to make it to where you have no consciousness of sin. It's just me, you, Father, and Holy Spirit. In the great circle dance. In the great circle dance. If you look at John 17, we looked at last week. He reminds us that that is what he came to do to make us one. I want to leave you with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. could really just keep reading that story. It's so good. <clears throat> Verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 5. I love this. Paul says, If we are out of our minds in a blissful, divine ecstasy. When you think about blissful, that word, when you think about ecstasy, right? Most of us only have the concept of Let's get some drugs and get high, right? Because when we use those terms, that's the only thing we have familiar with it. But he's saying in this passage that we are so basically inebriated, right? We are intoxicated by him. So we can get into a place to where we come that intoxicated with him. Remember, there is nothing on earth Nothing that is created by the enemy. Nothing. So, do people get high? Do people get drunk? Yes. So, are those things... Remember, Satan can't create. He can only distort. Does not Paul, not in this passage, but does not Paul say, don't get drunk with wine, but get drunk on the Spirit? So why does he turn us to drugs and alcohol to keep you from this same feeling you can actually have in the presence of God? What do you think Mary experienced? So intoxicating. I'm talking about till there are people, but we laugh at them, right? Religion laughs at people like that who get in so intoxicated with God, saying they're out of their minds. They say they're out of their minds. What did Paul say right here? You can say we're out of our minds in bliss and ecstasy. You think they've seen Paul like this before? 
What did they think about them in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell on them? Oh, they're all drunk. They're just all intoxicated. Then Peter says, really, bro? It's in the morning time. I don't care. Y'all been on something. <laughs> what was they on? The very presence. The very presence of Jesus. God inhabiting them. Right? And all of that is available today to you. It's all available right now to you to experience Him in that way in the secret place. But most of the time, we, we want that feeling. Right? We want that feeling. You ever had surgery or something? They give you that little pill before they give you the other stuff? Man, that stuff feels good. I ain't gonna lie. I'm just like, whoo! I don't care what y'all do to me. Just do whatever you want to. Right? But that's not natural. That's an unnatural way of experiencing that. You can experience that in His presence to where you don't care what the world says. You don't care what the world does to you. You can have no pain because you are in His presence that much. How many times was Paul beaten? Paul was not only just beaten, several times he was left for dead. And he says, I knew, I knew that I wasn't going to die there. I believe that God had already revealed in some divine ecstasies that Paul had. I believe that God had already showed him how he was going to die. So Paul was able to be beaten and left for dead and to just pick himself right back up because he was in divine ecstasy. So that's the kind of person I want you to understand that's writing this letter, right? And he's addressing that issue because they've addressed that issue with him that, bro, you just crazy, right? And this is how he responds. If we are out of our minds in blissful, divine ecstasy, it is for God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. So the only time he's basically saying, I'm in my right mind for your benefit is when I'm around you trying to teach you. The rest of the time, I'll just spend my time in divine ecstasy with just me and him in the secret place. That's why the disciples, whenever they went around, and they could do all those things, and then they come to the one that they couldn't heal, and they said, why can't we do this? And he said, it only comes about by prayer and fasting. What is he saying? Fast from the world and get into that divine secret place to where it's you and Papa all the time in that divine ecstasy. And when you meet that thing, you're not going to be clouded by judgment by that thing. It's not going to have power over you because you're not going to, it's not even going to bother you because you're living in divine ecstasy and that thing is not going to have power over your mind, will, and emotions. And you're able to speak over that thing. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and holds us tightly because we are convinced that He has given His life for all of us. Who? How many? All. This means all died with him. Remember the word cosmos that we talked about earlier? It is the cosmos. All died with Him. So that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for Him. The one who died for us now lives again. So from now on, we refuse to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances, for that's how we once viewed the anointed one. But no longer do we see Him with limited human insight. They no longer see who? Jesus with limited human insight. Why? Because they're going into divine ecstasy with Him. 
They see in them with new eyes. They're going into a secret place. They're going to another realm, another dimension of seeing Him for who He really is. We have a picture of that at the Transfiguration. Notice Jesus on the mountainside and He's praying. They had been up there for a while. It ain't like they just walked up the mountain and bam, He showed them all this stuff. They've been up there for so long that he's in secret place for so long the disciples are over there getting tired and they're about to sleep until all of a sudden he opens their eyes to see the spiritual realm and they, them dudes come jumping up. Can we set up a tent for all, all y'all to see? <laughs> right? <clears throat> now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new. All means what? All. Reconciled us to Himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Not that you, again, it goes right back to this passage we just read. Not that you have the power to forgive sins, but the power to release people to understand and have a perspective to see that they already been forgiven, right? In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of transgressions, and he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Notice this part. I need you to really focus real quick. We're almost done. God was shepherding the cosmos. Not just us right here in Mangan, Louisiana. The cosmos. He was shepherding the cosmos. Listen to this. Not even keeping records of their transgressions. And now he has entrusted to you and me, the ones who have opened their eyes, who have, eyes have been opened, given us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We're, that's what the message we have. The message we have is to tell everybody, you've already been forgiven. You've already been enfolded into Him. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carried the message of Christ where? To the world. As though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. Remember the verse we read the last few weeks. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. Let's pray. The picture of the beating all the way to the cross was for you. It is not sinners in the hands of an angry God, but it was God in the hands of angry sinners on that day. Where He met us at our low, where He met us in our wrong thinking, 
That's why he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Rethink, new perspective. You must see that I am good. And so to see that he is good, he met us at our worst. Constantly on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He continues to plead that on your behalf today because we think we know it all. Just like the religious leaders. We think we have it all figured out. And he says, I made it so simple for you. I want it to be about me and you face to face. I want to encounter you and you encounter me. Until the cares of this world have faded away. That is the invitation on the table. You have already been forgiven. You have already been included. But will you turn and say yes? Will you turn and say yes? Even for those of us who claim to be saved for several years, do you experience Him in divine ecstasy? Or is he just a second thought on our mind on Sunday? Do you get in the secret place every day? Or is it just you and him? Soaking in him. Seek first him and the kingdom. All those other things will be added then. We'd like to go with all the added thens, our lists, and say, help us out man upstairs and then maybe he'll grant us our wish today oh it's so much more than that it's divine ecstasy to bring you into communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to experience them face to face face to face until the world fades scene that we read there's the empty tomb and there's the new garden Jesus is signifying in that place saying hey guys we're starting over and I made all things new restoring the cosmos back to the Father
surface level, not some more religious level, some formula level, but a real encounter with you that takes them deeper and deeper into intimacy with you. Father, I pray that anyone in this room dealing with any kind of health issues, no matter what it is, no matter it's a bone issue, a joint issue, a blood issue, an organ issue, no matter what it is, we declare healing over you right now in the name of Jesus. As you consume the bread today and the blood of Jesus, it covers you that by His stripes you've already been healed. Receive healing today. Receive new life. And receive with a new perception that you are forgiven. And you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you leave this place, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are a lender to many nations and you never have to borrow. Everything you touch and everything you are a part of is blessed and prosperous for the kingdom of God. And may you prosper as your soul prospers. In Jesus' name.